And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to The Real Investment Show. It's the Thursday edition. That's right, second best day of the week. That also means that... Uh, Michael Lee was joining us this morning talking a little bit about the Fed, what the Fed said yesterday. Uh, we're going to get into that this morning, of course. Um, you know, was it the Fed the last rate hike? Was it not? We'll talk about it. That's all coming coming up this morning with Michael Leibowitz. Um, you know, but earnings season right now continues to roll on this morning. Comcast reporting better than expected earnings revenue. McDonald's beating EPS uh, as well. Uh, McDonald's trading up about 2.5% this morning. So again, we're going to see kind of a, a we, and we have been seeing really, over the last you know few days, you know the Dow really outperforming the S&P and the, and the and the Nasdaq in particular. Uh, tech stocks have been under a little bit of selling pressure, except for yesterday. Microsoft was down yesterday following their earnings. Google, nice day rally for Google um, after you know kind of uh, beating estimates and earnings and their outlook being good. Uh, for Google. So again, kind of been an interesting market in terms of earnings uh, so far. Companies that, you know, when we take a look at the average or the normal kind of response to earnings that we normally have, companies really aren't being rewarded for beating earnings to a great degree. They're being rewarded, right? But not, we're not seeing big 20, 25% pops that we'd seen previously when companies beat earnings. But we're also not seeing stocks, you know, brutally punished as much. And again, there's some outliers. Uh, uh, RTX Technologies, you know, had about a 10% down day following their earnings. But in a lot of cases, the 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 impact to earnings if, if a company misses and the impact of their price hasn't been that great. So it's been a fairly muted earnings season so far. But, you know, we continue to kind of roll through this. Again, you know, earnings season has been good so far. That's been providing a bid to stocks as well. That's been keeping, you know, stocks moving higher here through the month. We're getting towards the end of earnings season, though. We've got this week and really next week. By the end of next week, we will have the bulk of the S&P will have reported. There's a few outliers, uh, such as NVIDIA, which is always kind of the very tail end of earnings season. We won't even hear from them until August. So again, there's, you know, there's a few things that will come down the pike that will be important earnings-wise, but by next Friday, we'll have a big chunk of the actual major companies reporting earnings. And so we'll have a really good feel for just how good earnings were uh, for this quarter. Now, one thing that is interesting is profit margins. Profit margins have actually now declined back to pre-pandemic levels. Now, where did profit margins come from? Well, that's obviously a couple of things. You have a boost in activity, right? People, you know, buying a lot more stuff. And we had this big elevated surge in profits, uh, profit margins for companies because, well, we had $5 trillion worth of stimulus. You also had inflation, which allowed companies to uh, increase their selling prices for the things that they were selling. At the same time as they were increasing their selling prices, they were reducing cost by doing things like, you know, taking five Doritos out of a Doritos bag. It may not sound like a lot. Well, it's just five Doritos out of a Doritos bag. Multiply that by the, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of bags that you produce. It adds up. <laughs> you know, this is those, you know, pennies make dollars very quickly for these companies. Uh, you know, just removing five sheets of paper towels from a paper towel roll. It adds up 
for these companies. And that's been, and this is what we call shrinkflation, right? You're getting less money, or you're getting less product, even though you're paying more money. And that was a big boost to a lot of these companies' profit margins over the last couple of years. Well, now that's, that's fading. And we're now seeing those profit margins getting squeezed as inflationary pressures continue to come down, right? We're down to 3% inflation. That's going to weigh on profit margins. So one of the big questions that we've got to ask for, for going forward as we continue to look forward for earnings over the next couple of quarters and into next year, and particularly taking a look at profit margins, because ultimately that's going to affect earnings, is what happens if we continue to have disinflationary pressures in the economy. As inflation returns back to 2%, do margins continue to fall you know, back to more normal historical levels of what a company can actually produce profit margin-wise, right? That's gonna be the big question. And so something to really kind of pay attention to, pay attention to those profit margins. Uh, we just recently wrote an article about how companies beat earnings and beat estimates, and that's on our website at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's an important read for you to understand how share buybacks and, and these accounting gimmicks are used to boost EPS. So when you're looking at the company that you're buying, are they really generating the earnings that you're paying for? And that's, you know, while it may not bad matter in a really short-term period, you know, days, weeks, months, doesn't matter, right? It's just the momentum of the stock. But long-term, fundamentals matter, and they matter a lot. So you might want to read that article on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. So here's what you need to know before the bell this morning. The Dow is on one of the longest winning streaks that we've seen in quite some time. And importantly, if you take a look at the Dow this year, really kind of year to date, a very different story relative to the S&P and the NASDAQ, which have been in a rip and bull market this year. The Dow really just now breaking out of a trading range that it's been in since the beginning of the year. The, the Dow really did not do a lot through the first part of this year, and that's that bifurcation of the market that we've been talking about just recently really broke out of that range and has had a very, very nice spike here. Now, importantly, the Dow is getting fairly overbought, but when we go back historically and look, we have to go back to a couple of months prior to 1987 to find an, a record a win streak where the Dow was up every single day this long, right? So it's been a very long time and so we have to go back again to 1987 to find a period of time where the Dow had this many consecutive winning days in a row. So I'm not saying the market's about to have Black Monday again anytime soon, but the point is, is that stocks can only go up every single day without having a correction eventually coming. And this is particularly important if you take a look at how overbought the Dow is right now. We have to go back a couple of years here to find you know, previous periods where the Dow was this overbought. Again, take a look at, at the RSI index as an example. You, know, you are at the level on the RSI index that has previously matched to peaks in the markets every single time. So again, when you go back historically, the Dow is extremely overbought here. We've had a very, very strong run. Not surprising because of, again, this kind of catch-up trade in the markets, trying to get you know people wanting to get in the markets, buy these stocks. And that's now giving this Dow a lift here, which is, which is great, right? So we're now playing a little bit of that sector rotation that, that Mike and I had both talked about earlier a couple of months ago. Now seeing that sector rotation really come into play. But the Dow is extremely overbought here in terms of, of how it's performing on a short-term basis. So again, as we kind of take a look at some of these, you know, kind of previous periods where you've been, you know, this overbought, 
it's one of those things just at least worth paying to and understanding that you're probably going to have a correction here of some sort um, over the course of the next couple of months, particularly as we move into the weaker summer months of August and September. But a correction back to the 200-day moving average, the 50, uh, the 100-day moving average, certainly very likely here particularly with the Dow because it is getting extremely deviated, but it's the same story that we see with the S&P and the NASDAQ as well. These more extreme deviations from underlying moving average, certainly setting the market up here for a correction at least of some sort, three to 5%, certainly very likely. That'll give you a much better opportunity to get into the stocks you're trying to get into rather than trying to chase them right here. I know I've been saying this for a while now, but Again, these kind of manias in the markets, these what we call these buying stampedes, they tend to last for a while, longer than you would expect they would, but they always eventually correct. So be patient, you'll get a better opportunity, but that's what you need to know before the bell this morning. So when we come back from the break, we'll pick up with Michael Leibowitz, we'll talk about the Fed's last rate hike, was it? And what do they expect about a recession? We'll talk about that coming up next, right here on The Real Investment Show. daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. So welcome back to the show this morning. Uh... So yesterday, of course, was kind of the, the big day, right? Everybody, we've all kind of been expecting, waiting for, you know, this was the final Fed meeting and, um, you know, for, you know, rate hikes anyway. That's at least what's expected is that this was the Fed's last rate hike. And, you know, that's also kind of getting, you know, brought into the markets here a little bit. But there were some very interesting kind of comments that came out yesterday in particular that we'll want to get into this morning. But let's start with just kind of what happened yesterday. Mike, uh, what was your kind of initial takeaway from uh, yesterday's meeting? It was kind of a nothing burger. Um, and first of all, thank you for explaining where my five Doritos went. Yeah, I've been wondering. Hey, by um, the way, they took three Oreos out of a uh, family pack of Oreos, too. And that explains that, too. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, you know, everyone, the market thought the Fed would raise rates 25. They raised it 25. The market's mixed on what the Fed's going to do next. It's about a third, a 33 or 30 percent chance the Fed will hike rates at one of the upcoming meetings, not necessarily the next meeting. So. Um, and they really didn't change their statement. They changed the, the verbiage and uh, because they raised rates first, keeping them flat last time. But they really made very little change to the to what they put out after the meeting. So then you get the the Fed, the uh, Jerome Powell press conference. And that's that's usually where markets will whip around. They'll go up a lot. They'll go down a lot. But you usually see a lot of movement from the stock market. And that's kind of you know, it's the voice of approval or disapproval as to what Powell's speaking and what he's thinking and saying and theorizing. And um, the market was flat yesterday. If you're watching a market when he was speaking, you wouldn't even know there was anything going on. He was just flatlining. At the tail end of his press conference, it dropped 
a little. The S&P fell 10, 15, 20 points, something like that. And, and it's because he said probably the most controversial, not controversial, the most enlightening thing of the day, which was basically that we don't see ourselves getting our getting inflation back to two percent anywhere close or or anywhere close to two percent until 2025. So, you know, I think the market not I think you, you can see what the market's pricing in. The market thinks that the Fed's going to start cutting rates next year. The odds of a rate cut start start becoming uh, you know, we start having odds of rate cut starting early next year. And by late next year, the market thinks the Fed will have done a few already. And what Powell's saying there is if we don't get inflation back to 2%, uh, you know, we're not going to get to 2%. And earlier he made numerous mentions that 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 they're not going to cut rates until it gets to 2%. So uh, and then the other kind of interesting thing I thought he said is that they will continue. They could continue QT while cutting rates. So the market isn't really getting a friendly Fed, right? I, I think the market knows the Fed is done or just about done. Maybe they go another 25 at the very most, maybe 50 more basis points. And the market's fine with that, it appears. What the market really wants to see is the Fed cutting rates and trying to nail the soft landing. There's a huge concern that of these lag effects that that what they've done hasn't really been felt yet. And if and when they get felt, it's really going to pull down the economy. So every time they keep raising rates, they're adding more and more pressure to that potentially to a recession. And that's the great unknown with these lags is that the Fed is kind of driving in the dark. They don't know what they're doing here because it, it what they're doing, what they did yesterday may not affect the economy largely for six, nine, 12 months at which point some of those other rate hikes are really dragging on the economy. So I think the Fed's getting to the point where they have this debate between the hawks and the doves and have they killed inflation enough versus are they forcing the economy into a recession and trying to kind of find that in between nice, comfortable spot where they keep inflation low and avoid a recession. Yeah, it's, it's you know it's kind of an interesting point because this morning the market future, I mean market futures right now up very strongly. Uh, the S and P is going to be up about thirty points this morning. The Nasdaq is going to be up about one hundred and hundred eighty five points. Uh, Dow is going to be up about fifty sixty points or so at the open. So again, you know this this kind of you know idea that you know they're, they're kind of done hiking rates. It's also kind of feeding in now into some of the expectations we're seeing, kind of the terminal rate dropping here a bit. Uh, interest rates on bonds themselves kind of fell yesterday as well. So, you know, the market's trying to price in that the Fed's probably done, even though and you're, you're absolutely correct. You know, the, they said that, you know, they're, they, you know, Powell pushed back on this idea that the Fed might go to an ever other meeting type, you know, analysis. But they said, right. no, you know, we could raise rates in September, um, you know, very likely. And we might not, but we might, depending on kind of what's going on. But, you know, they're, they're kind of focused back on this data dependency and, and you know, watching what the data is doing. And again, you know, the, the data is fine. Uh, and we're, you know, we're probably going to start to see economic data improve here over the next month or so and see some of these manufacturing indexes pick up. You know, that's going to be a function of consumer sentiment, which had a big jump over the last week. We saw a big increase in consumer sentiment. Uh, expectations for inflation falling sharply by consumers, expectations for better financial stability improving. 
um, expectations for higher stock prices um, coming, not surprising. But again, this all feeds back into that that wealth effect that's created by higher stock prices weighing back in on consumer sentiment. That's kind of a problem for the Fed ultimately is, is because he's right, is that inflation isn't going to get to 2% anytime soon. In fact, we could see a pickup in inflation. Housing prices are back on the rise. If you take a look at some of the data for housing sales just over the last two, three months, um, prices of home sales are starting to go back up again. That's going to feed into homeowners equivalent rent. That's going to keep inflation elevated. And I think it could put the Fed into a really tough spot if we see inflation start to tick back up on a year-over-year basis. Yeah. And what's interesting was I was wondering if, if, probably not in a statement, but if Powell would mention the stock market and try to try to take some of the irrational exuberance out of it, like Greenspan did a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And he didn't mention the stock market, even though the Fed truly believes and they've mentioned it. I think Bernanke originally came out with it in like 2003, that the stock market drives confidence, which drives consumption, which ultimately drives prices. So I wonder if they're actually like the stock market because it's it's boosting the economy at the same time what they're doing is creating a headwind to the economy so they're trying to get this whole balance of you know their policy tools but also the way their policies affect confidence and markets and that that sort of thing so you know that may be part of their plan here is to kind of let the st the stock markets rise not get too out of hand but let them rise so that they can administer the hard medicine or let the hard medicine they administered last year and early this year work and kind of offset each other and get your magnificent soft landing. Yeah, well, it's something we'll talk about here because I, I don't want to get into it just yet because we only have a couple of minutes left here before the break. But coming back from the break, I want to talk specifically about what you know Powell said yesterday in, in regards to a recession. In fact, that's that's kind of a Interesting point because you know part of what he was talking about you know the stately mild, here I'm just going to read to you from Bloomberg the statement mildly upgraded the assessment of the economy, saying the activity has has, has remained stable but the uh, the Fed chief said inflation um, they the said officials welcomed the consumer price uh, report showing that inflation rose by three percent in twelve months however. Uh, the Fed is still focused on needing employment to come down uh, or sorry, unemployment to go up, employment to come down in order to really get inflation back under control. So, you know, the one thing we haven't seen is any weakening in the employment market really to, to any great degree. And that's been something that Powell has referred to several times is needing to get, you know, employment to slow down, uh, employment to weaken so that consumers will spend less money and help bring that inflation rate down. But we haven't seen that just yet. Right. And again, with the stock market, if consumers are going to spend more, companies need to hire more. So, uh, you know, so I guess the question is, can inflation really get to 2%? And let's just say it gets stuck between 25 and 3.5%. Mm -hmm. Is that good enough? Now, Powell has told us pretty bluntly that 2% is their goal and they're not stopping till they get to 2%. But my guess is two and a half to three percent inflation would be they would love that because yeah. it does on the margin reduce the debt right as a percentage GDP. And um, but but I just think they're not going to say it until they're very confident that inflation is is kind of taken care of all those all those factors that drove inflation have abated right and again we're going to see that and again when we take a look at you know consumer confidence again that's improving rather sharply here 
um, you know, if we start to see some of the economic data uh, begin to actually improve, like the manufacturing indexes, those type of things, if we start to see turn turns up in that data, suggesting that you know the economy is starting to 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 grow or to expand. Um, then that's going to lead to more hiring, which, again, is going to kind of put the Fed in a tough spot of trying to get wage pressures down, trying to get inflation to come down. That's all going to kind of feed back in. And that that I mean, this is going to be something that, you know, we'll be, you know, obviously looking at and talking about as we go forward. But, you know, this this whole idea that the Fed has beat inflation at this point is you know, too early to tell, you know, back in the 70s, we saw a very similar situation. Inflation was coming down, looked like they'd gotten it back under control, and then it went off running to the moon when we had the oil embargo. So, you know, this, you know, that's the one thing we talked about before. That's kind of uh, Powell's biggest fear is this resurgence of inflation. Just when you think, just as soon as you think you got the inflation monster beaten, it comes roaring back for another round. And, you know, that's, that's a big concern because, because again, at that point, you've got no choice but to start hiking rates pretty aggressively again. But we'll come back after the break. I do want to get into this. A very interesting comment that Powell did make about a recession. And, you know, this has been the big debate. Where's the recession? You know, we've been talking about a recession now for two years and still no recession. And this lag effect, where is it? We'll talk about that when we come back from the break. Don't go away. Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. And welcome back to the show this morning. So, uh, Powell made an interesting comment yesterday. I thought, uh, during his press conference, he says it's a good thing head headline inflation has gone down a bit. Of course, you know, we're talking about headline inflation going from 9% to 3% in the latest reading. He said, uh, quote, I would say that having, having headline inflation move down that much will strengthen the broad sense that the public has that inflation is coming down. Here's the interesting part. So I agree with that, right? So inflation's gone from 9 to 3. Everybody's like, inflation's over. I feel a lot better. Here's the interesting part of that statement, which will in turn, we hope, help inflation continue to move down. I don't understand that part of the statement, Mike, because here's the problem with that statement. If inflation has gone from nine to three and consumers go, whew, inflation's over, thank goodness, my 401k plan is higher, uh, my, my stock portfolio is higher this year, I'm going to go out and spend some money. Right. Things are costing less. I've got more money in the bank. I feel better about things. Consumer sentiment shows that consumers are feeling a lot better. The job market's just fine. No real fear about losing my job. Why would I not go out and spend more money? So it's kind of an interesting conundrum of what Powell said about inflation coming down is that he hopes that'll give consumers a sense it is coming down and that'll help inflation move down more. It's actually the opposite. It's going to make 
people go spend more money, which creates demand, which increases inflation, right? Right, right. Well, the Fed has long believed that inflation expectations are probably the most important factor guiding inflation. <clears throat> so so he, I, I feel like he's taking a rule from the pre-2020 pre pandemic yeah. when inflation was relatively flat. He, he made another comment that I, I'm going to have to do some work on, but he said core inflation leads headline inflation. So core inflation, core inflation is just ba they basically take out food and gas. And the reason they do it is because they're volatile. They go up and down. And if you kind of strip those out, you get a better reading of inflation, even though we spend two thirds of our money on food and gas. Mm -hmm. um, or not, maybe not that much. But so what's interesting is I think that, you know, core inflation is a better gauge of inflation when inflation is relatively flat, you know, between one and two and a half percent where it was for the last decade plus. But in a trending inflation environment, which we've been in, and we haven't been in one for a long time, I'm not so sure that's the case. I just think that core, for many reasons, is slower to rise and slower to increase. So I think he's actually got it wrong that headline inflation is leading core. Headline inflation was the first to go up, you know, when we saw used car prices spiking and oil spiking and other other goods that aren't that big in the in the calculation, but they were spiking in price. Headline inflation went up and then core followed. Headline came down as those prices normalized or even, you know, we got some prices falling in some of those sectors. And now core is starting to follow. And the thing I really don't you know, I've read a lot on it. And I still don't have a great feel for it is housing and shelter. Shelter is a third of the inflation number. Mm -hmm. And we know that, the you know, Lance mentioned, you mentioned a, a, about five minutes ago that house prices are starting to pick up. Mm -hmm. Well, they're starting to pick up in real time. They're not starting to pick up in the Fed's numbers. That won't happen for a long time. Yeah, three months. More than that, actually, because you think about it like this, the, their number is imputed rent and rent. Actually, rent prices are a big part of the number. So every month, in theory, one twelfth of people that, that are in an apartment see their rent change. Mm -hmm. Right. The landlord says, OK, you've been here for another year We're we're increasing your rent. And it's probably less than one twelfth because people have longer term leases as well. So. You know, the Fed is looking at that. And if if rent prices go up 10 percent, but it's only happening on one twelfth, you're not getting that big of a rise in rent. Whereas the Cleveland Fed has told us, actually, we put this in, a, in our commentary a couple of days ago. They have another rent index that looks at just those rents that are due that have just recently reset. And that gives you a great idea of what's happening with rent. And that's been plummeting. And that's the same evidence we're getting from from other uh, companies that are involved in a rental business and Zillow and um, a few more. Um, so so what I don't understand is I think shelter prices are going to come down still a lot more in the CPI number. That right. doesn't mean they're coming down in the real world. Right. But in the CPI number, they're going to come down sharply. And that's a third of the number. So. You know, the Fed is making no mention of that. 
And a lot of economists don't really mention that, but I think that could be a big deal. And it allows CPI to come in below expectations here for at least three or four more months. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, no, yeah, no doubt. I mean, that's going to be one of the interesting things. You know, again, this is why people always have such a distrust of the CPI numbers. Like, oh, they say inflation's this, but you know, X is costing me this, or Y is costing me that. Um, you know, that's why you know the average consumer doesn't trust inflation, right? Right. Well, first of all, it's impossible to calculate inflation. Yeah. Right. You live in a different state than me. You spend your money on different things. How do you have one basket of goods? and one price for that basket of goods for everyone. Right. We're all very different in what we spend and how and when we spend it and all that. So first of all, we got to get rid of this notion that there is a CPI number because it's different for all of us. Um, and then we also have to get rid of the concern that it's 3.1 versus 2.9, right? The, the variation doesn't matter. I think what really matters is the trend. Is it going up? Is it going down? Is it mm -hmm. just flatlining? Yeah. And it's been flatlining prior to the pandemic, flatlining, right? Going up a little, going down a little. Oil prices jiggle. This goes up, that goes down. But in a trending inflation environment, I think it becomes a much more important data point to follow and to, to care about. Uh, but again, whether it beat or missed by a tenth or two tenths of a percent, I think is is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Um, what matters is the trend, and that trend has been falling for a while now. So, and you know, yeah, go ahead. go ahead. No, no. I was just going to say, and it will because, and we know it will because of the way the Fed calculates their numbers. They, they their data tends to lag, and the, the lagging data is fine when CPI is kind of flat. But in an environment like this, you really want that real time data to know what inflation is doing. Yeah, and and this kind of feeds back into. Um, you know, the Fed's comment on recession. And again, you know, uh, you've been talking a lot about the lag effect. We've written about the lag effect. You know, when's the recession showing up? And there's, you know, and, and yet it hasn't shown up yet. You know, the economy is still clicking off at 2% growth. Uh, employment still remains, you know, very close, very at very full employment levels. Um, and I thought Powell's comment yesterday about a recession was interesting. Is the statement uh, the statement mildly upgraded the assessment of the economy to say activity has been expanding at a moderate pace. The Fed compared to June's modest pace, so he actually upgraded the the rating of the economy. Uh, but during the press conference, Powell shared that the Fed staff is no longer having a recession in their projections which are independent of those issued by policymakers. So the staff of the Fed is now basically marked out a recession saying, you know, we're not going to have a recession. We're going to have, you know, we're having the slowdown economically. Um, that kind of aligns with what Goldman Sachs has now been saying here for the last, you know, probably two quarters is that the economy will get close to 0% growth uh, potentially in the next quarter, but then start to reaccelerate into the end of the year and then into next year, which also kind of corresponds with this big surge in earnings that people are expecting next year for the, for the uh, S&P 500 um, as earnings return back to $220 a share or potentially even higher. Um, you have to have stronger economic growth for that. So it's it's a real conundrum between the bears that are expecting a recession and the data continues to suggest that no recession is coming. You know, so what, what was your take on that? Well, first of all, Lance, can you remind me when uh, the last time the Fed did uh, predict a recession accurately? No, they never have. Right. Neither right. has anybody else, by the way. Right, right. This is, you know, and the problem is, look, the economy, economics is like the weather. It's dynamic. It's it's always changing. There's all these factors that are somewhat unpredictable and change the outcome. So no one 
can predict it. Uh, you know, we, we have certainly have ideas and we know like this and this is where the lag effect comes in. We know there's an incredibly strong headwind that's brewing, that's coming, that's already hitting the economy to some degree, but it's only going to increase in size. We know that. Uh, the question is, how does it affect the market? And can things like improving confidence help overcome those headwinds? So, you know, I, I feel like we're weather forecasters to a degree. We, we know certain things are going to happen, right? We know there's a cold front coming in. That cold front is the very heavy, wet, head, the very strong headwinds. But what we don't know is if the clouds will materialize and give us the, the recession. And, you know, no one knows this. And the Fed's guessing, economists are guessing, we're guessing, we're using the best, you know, the facts that we know but things change over time and you know we all adjust to them but but that headwind is still there and it's only growing stronger and it kind of hit home for me um yesterday that the fed raised rates they're now the highest they've been since 2000 i think it's 2001. Mm -hmm. the total debt outstanding in the system is three times what it was in 2001. So we're dealing with actually slightly higher interest rates than they were 22 years ago, but three times as much debt. So to think that what the Fed has done will not affect the economy, I think is naive. But right now, it looks like everything, like the economy can withstand it. But I still have a hard time believing that given how indebted the economy is, that it will be able to avoid a recession. Quick break. But, we'll come back and uh, we'll wrap up the show, talk a little bit about some of the earnings that came out yesterday, this morning. Uh, like I said, markets pointing sharply higher. So we'll talk a little bit about the markets, where to next uh, for the markets when we come back from the break with Michael Leibowitz. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. <laughs> So yesterday on the show, I was talking a little bit about earnings as we go through here, and there's some companies uh, to kind of pay attention to if you want to really kind of know about what's happening with the consumer. Um, one of those was Chipotle Mexican Group, which is, as we always often said here, it's the world's most expensive burrito if you take a look at valuations. Uh, you know, it's a restaurant, fast food restaurant, casual dining, um, very popular. And, you know, here's a, a company that... You know, when you take a look at Chipotle Mexican Group, again, you know, they're a fast food restaurant. They trade at basically six times price to sales. Um, you know, valuations are high. They traded at 51 PE. Um, you know, so it's a restaurant. And, you know, this is, has been one of the favorites of, you know, uh, hedge funds and portfolio managers, et cetera. So in that fast food space, Chipotle Mexican Group has been one of the clear winners across time. But, you know, it's also a good indication of what's happening with the average kind of retail person. This is kind of that mid-level casual dining fast food restaurant. It's not cheap to go to a Chipotle, by the way. Um, so you're gonna you're gonna drop some money if you go to Chipotle. But for the average American, it's it kind of fits right in that bill. So if you kind of want to know what's happening with the consumer, Chipotle Mexican Group is one of those stocks you kind of take a look at. Um, and it was interesting in their earnings yesterday. They they did beat estimates um, uh, yesterday, and 
what was what was they said? So the. the uh, so they said that their second quarter earnings, they beat expectations. Revenue was $2.51 billion, which was short of estimates. So their revenue wasn't high as is expected. Um, they also expected um, uh, only growing at 7.4% in the quarter, and analysts expected 7.5%. You know, so again, this is kind of one of those, as Mike was talking about, you know, this lag effect of the economy, what's going on, is there going to be a recession? You know, there are certain companies you kind of look at and say, okay, here's a kind of a thermometer of what's happening, um, you know, for these, for, you know, the kind of the average American and what's going on. And and I always like to look at Chipotle Mexican Group as one of those. You know, McDonald's is another one. Um, You know, that's, you know, a lot of people eat at McDonald's. Um, The problem with this is you have to look at McDonald's earnings. They always report adjusted earnings. So you've got to go back in and kind of, Re- refabricate what their actual earnings were but you know those are things that you want to look at you know are they growing revenues at a level that suggests the consumer is doing just fine and so far that that's that's the case they're a little bit weaker than what people were expecting uh chipotle mexico group is going to be down about nine percent at the open this morning um but uh, you know again you know those are the kind of things that you want to kind of pay attention to um you know there's trucking companies, and we talked about industrials performing very well here lately. You know, transportation stocks are doing well. You know, those are all suggesting that the economy is kind of firing on all cylinders. And you know, for for right now, you know, that's just kind of kind of the case. And you know, there's certainly, as Mike was making, you know, the argument for a minute ago, it's hard. You know, when you take a look at leading economic indicators, you take a look at inverted yield curves. There's certainly all these warning signs that a recession's coming. Yet, you know, everything else seems to be doing okay. And that's that, Mike, this is the hard part of of managing money is trying to, you know, have these expectations of what might happen, try to hedge that risk, but then also be aware of what's happening in the markets right now. And that makes it very challenging for investors. Right. And that that's, I think, where, you know, you, you have to put everything together. It's not just kind of macroeconomics. It's fundamental, it's valuations, and it's technical analysis. And technical analysis at the end of the day is really, it's not voodoo. You're just really gauging the behavior of investors. And, you know, you can look at trend lines and indicators and calculations, and it helps put together a good sense of what investors are thinking and what they're doing. And it allows you to trade to to belong in an environment where your macroeconomics says to be short or to be short in an environment where the macroeconomics are, are positive or good. And, you know, it that's the hard part of, of managing money. It's separating out your long term opinions from what's going on in the ground in a very short run. And I, I feel like we're in one of those instances now because I do feel there will be a recession albeit it may not be for another six months, but it doesn't matter if there's a recession because our job is to manage money. And if the market's gonna keep going up, we're gonna be on that train. Knowing full well that there are risks to being on that train and knowing where we can get off the train if need be, what what levels make sense that we start exiting the trade. But you know, right now this market is very bullish. Like you said, the Dow just set a, um, was it a 14 game, 14 game winning streak? Yep since 1987 but and you know it's interesting it's 1987 and i'm not saying there's a 1987 event coming but i think what that goes to show you is that 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 sentiment can be extremely bullish and 
at the same time, you could have a pretty big decline shortly thereafter. Not not immediately, but but thereafter, you know, and you go back and look at 1929 and you go back and look at other peaks. When you get to these peaks in markets, sentiment is really strong, not but not surprisingly. So you can look at sentiment and you can see when was that sentiment turning is the and when do the macroeconomics turn? You know, it's very possible we could get a little bearish on the market, but the macroeconomic view gets a little better. So, you know, it's just a lot of juggling we have to do, Lance. No, it is. And, and, and again, a lot of this stuff, when you talk about lag effects, you know, we've never had historically you know, $5 trillion worth of stimulus that, you know, boosted M2 money supply to the level that we saw and then having to work that that supply out of the markets. And, you know, historically, we haven't had that ever to, to deal with um, in terms of how that impacts the economy. At what point does that economic slowdown occur as that money does exit the economy or so to speak or gets absorbed by the economy? And that just ta- that's taking a lot longer than anybody imagines. So you know, there's there's a real possibility. I think you're wrong about a recession, Mike. In six months, I think I think we'll have a recession, but it's not going to be till 2025 because of that massive impulse of liquidity in the markets. It's just going to take a long time to work that out of the system. And again, you, and, you, and it's not just that stimulus. You still have the 1.7 trillion dollars of you know Inflation Reduction Act. You still don't have the student loan payments back on yet. So there's a lot of things that are still sitting there supporting the economy that's pushing that lag effect of the recession out. But in a good th- in a good way, if you are expecting a recession, the fact that fewer and fewer people now expect a recession actually gives you the ability to have a recession. As, as we said last year, every, everybody thought we were going to have a recession last year. And we said, can't have a recession. If we do, it'll be the most forecasted recession ever in history. Mike's right. Nobody's ever forecasted a recession. The fact the Fed is no longer forecasting a recession just actually sets us up now in the next 18 months or so to actually have a recession. But because of all this lag effect of money, it's just going to take a lot longer to get there. And so, you know, this is so now we're getting into that that phase of the markets where people are now, you know, removing the risk management from their portfolio. They're now piling back in. They're creating, you know, back into a bubble in stock, so to speak, Uh, particularly on sentiment. If you take a look at investor sentiment, it's it's pegged right now we're just as bullish as we can be that sets you up for a bigger correction in the markets at some point not a bear market i'm not talking about a 50 percent decline just a a a more a bigger correction than probably what investors are expecting and here you know going back to kind of how you started this i i think what's interesting is i'm on the economy i'm i think a little more bearish than you at least I think the I think we get a recession before you think we get a recession. Right. And maybe even a year before you think. Right. But on the money management side, we've been in agreement. Yeah. Uh, Like, you know, we go through phases where we're not in agreement and, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, we find middle ground and we we work around it. But we've been very much in agreement for the last couple months. Mm And it just goes to show you, you got to separate out those those macroeconomic opinions, geopolitical opinions, whatever is going on in the world with what's going on in the market. Right. No, it's true. And it's just and again, we don't know. You don't know. And I don't know. And this is the challenge. Right. Is is how long this monetary bubble that we created, you know, from MMT. Right. And so, by the way, just it's just, you know, we were writing a bunch of articles about MMT and the fallacy of MMT, you know, when Stephanie Kelton was running around and having her 15 minutes of fame. 
you know, sure. the, the fallacies of MMT. And well, we tried it and now you know what the results are. <laughs> and, and so right. where's Stephanie, by the way, I haven't yeah. heard her from her in ages. Yeah. She's a, uh, she's oh. that quickly disappeared when everybody figured out that MMT doesn't work. And, and, and and the other guy that the other person that was pushing it was the guy from Long Term Capital. Yeah. I'm drawing a blank on his name. Randall Ray. Yeah, that worked. No, not him. Uh, not um, him. He was too. It was. Like, yeah, but, but no, yeah. It was. It was the guy from. I, I know who you're talking about. I can't think of his name. And we either. know how Long Term Capital worked out. <laughs> well, you know, the, the thing is, is that you know, the the idea it sounds great, but at the at the end of the day, somebody's got to pay the tab, and and that's what comes around and you pay that through inflation that's that's eventually what's going to occur and and it has occurred and now we know okay we don't like that so we'll see it's going to be interesting you know the one thing that the market still has completely discounted is qt and you know the fed is restricting liquidity to the markets that hasn't changed the markets are discounting that drop in liquidity we'll see how long that that detachment from liquidity can remain but that's all part of this function of you know, this kind of monetary surplus is still sitting there in the markets. And at some point, this is all going to have to equate back to each other. It's simple math. And at some point, it's all going to have to balance. The question is, and to our, to our disagreement of timing, it's just a function of timing. It may not be six months. It right. might not be a year and a half. It might be 10 months, right? You know, it may be somewhere in the middle. But, you know, that's going to take time for that to balance out. Uh, you got 10 seconds for the final word. Uh, there's no such thing as a free lunch. <laughs> there you go. All right, that wraps up the show for today. Get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Michael Leibowitz's latest article is out on the website now. Uh, so simply go by realinvestmentadvice.com, get that. Check out our latest newsletter as well. I'll have the new one out this weekend. And, of course, as always, make sure you subscribe to our daily market commentary, our videos, etc. We appreciate you all. If you have any questions, simply just ask a question right there at the website. It comes right to my desk. I answer every email every day. Realinvestmentadvice.com. See you back here tomorrow.